0: Amen. Today we're going to look at what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit as sanctifier and sealer. It's Christ's Holy Spirit who sets his seal upon us and identifies us as his, but then also he does something else as he seals us, he sanctifies us. I know that's a big kind of religious sounding word, but... To be sanctified simply means to be set apart, and so it's Christ's Holy Spirit that seals us as His, as His children, and as born again, but then also sanctifies us or sets us apart for usefulness in the work of His kingdom, for His glory and for the good of others. And so this morning, the verse that I'd like to start out with is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. I encourage you to go ahead and uh, look that up uh, or listen along. I do have the notes in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to follow along there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul writes this. In him, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, listen to these words, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I want to focus on that First word that is used there, the main word sealing. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Literally in the Greek, when you look at that word in the original language that the scripture was written, it it deals with ownership, it deals with uh, possession, it deals with a guarantee, and he even mentions that right after he talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit, he says, who is the guarantee, Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance, something we're going to receive as a result of being one of God's children and part of his family, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So it deals with security. Now this morning, I brought here, I like to play around with stuff and I think about not only what the scripture says, but you know, how you can illustrate it. And so literally, I wanted to show you an example of sealing that um, existed at the time when the Apostle Paul wrote this. Obviously, in his day, when he wrote this, they didn't have the adhesives like we have today, so you couldn't lick an envelope and stick it, though I Probably a lot of people are like, I ain't doing that no more. So pardon, pardon the improper English, but uh, anyway, uh, or they have, of course, the self-stick envelope so you can peel a little strip and fold it over and it adheres and seals the envelope. You can put a stamp on it. And again, that identifies that envelope as it's being paid for. The, the delivery charge has been paid for. You address it to who you want it to go to. You say who it's coming from. We got all that, but in the Apostle Paul's day, they didn't have that same system Now, they would still identify in a letter who was writing it and who it was to, and we see that in the Scriptures when we read the New Testament letters, uh, the Apostle Paul's letters in Scripture. But what they would do when they wanted to seal a document, even if it was an official government document or whatever, they would take the, the, the scroll, they would roll it up, and then they would take wax, And they would melt that wax, and they would pour it on the edges of the document. So you can see here this morning, for those of you that are here, or maybe you can watch this live stream, I've taken a a couple of pieces of paper. They are are actually documents, actually sermon notes. (laughs) And I rolled them up, and I melted some wax, and I wanted to make sure it was sealed really good. So I not only poured it on the edges, but I poured it kind of down in between and mushed it together and held it there until the wax dried, and, and it sealed. Same way with this one. This is what the scripture is describing when it's talking about Holy Spirit sealing us for the day of redemption, sealing us in Christ. Holy Spirit is putting Christ's mark of ownership on us, guaranteeing who is doing the work, who has done the work, and also guaranteeing uh, the delivery of that work. So again, in the day that this was written, let's say a government official wanted to send an official document to someone. They would write it on the scroll, roll it up, seal it with wax so that it could not be opened by an unauthorized person. Then they would even do this. Many government officials would have a signet ring. So I've got a a ring here today that's not my wedding band, and it actually has uh, somewhat of an insignia on it. Now, the ones that they had would be unique and identify them personally as to who they were. And while that wax was soft on the document, they could take their signet ring, press it into the wax, and it would leave their mark of ownership on it. So there was no doubt who the document came from. It was official. And if anyone tampered with that seal, uh, they were in big trouble. So this morning, I've got this sealed. I'm actually gonna take a moment, and there I go. It was pretty, pretty easy. I just popped that seal open. But once it's open, see, now I can't, I can't try to stick that back together. And if I would try to use heat or a flame like a candle to melt the wax, I'd end up burning the document. So <laughs> I don't want to do that. The point is this. This is the imagery that Christ impressed through his spirit on the apostle Paul to help us understand what it means to be sealed with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's official, it comes from him, we are identified as his kids, his children, his family. So we are sealed and then in in effect by that sealing we are also set apart for the particular use that God has prepared uh, for us to do. That word purchase possession in verse 14 or that phrase purchase possession is talking about the price that Christ paid for you and I on the cross of Calvary. He literally paid with his life to demonstrate God's love and to also exchange His righteousness, His sinless character, His sinless life in exchange for our sinful lives. He paid a price on our behalf to God that we are unable to pay. And by us receiving that payment, trusting in what Jesus has done for us, that He purchased us, we humble ourselves before Christ, we yield ourselves to Christ, we receive Him as Savior, we ask Him to come in and indwell us with His Holy Spirit, which He does, He seals us, and then he begins this process of sanctification. And that's what I want to talk about this morning a little more. So we're going to delve into it because there are some aspects of sanctification. Three primary ways that we think of this were being set apart unto God. So first of all, to be sanctified means simply to be set apart. So again, we think of it in a family situation when we accept Christ we are sealed, we are identified as his, we are set apart now as one of his children, part of the family of God in the world, and so therefore we are set apart from the rest of the world. The Apostle Paul writes this in Second Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14, he writes this, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Whenever the Apostle Paul is mentioning sanctification, he mentions it in relation to Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit is our sanctifier. He is the one who seals us and sets us apart and then begins to work in our lives and we need to learn to cooperate with that and with him. Beginning, uh, God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's think about it again, this sealing and identified as now one of Christ, one of God's in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this, the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There is a real mystical spiritual dynamic that goes on that is so much more than just following rules and regulations. That's why you hear us talk about this so much. Being in a relationship with, with God is understanding who He is as much as we can to whatever level and then responding to that by belief and faith. This is important. Demons believe in God, Satan believes in God, but they do not follow God. They have rebelled against God and they are working to try to tear apart anything in God's creation. They do not want God to be glorified. They seek ways to glorify themselves by deceiving and and getting us uh, into all kinds of other behaviors that would draw us away from God and his ideal for our life. And that's what they revel in. So when I talk about belief, when Jesus talks about belief, he's not just talking about this mental ascent of somehow thinking, oh, yeah, there's a God up there, or there's a God somewhere. It's more than belief. True kind of biblical belief that Jesus is talking about is acting on that belief. That's what faith is. Faith is putting your belief into action. And so the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So as we learn how to live a sanctified life, as we learn to grow in this position that God has placed us in, we have to continually exercise faith, acting on what we believe. And that faith will constantly be tested. That's what I mentioned in my prayer time today. Your faith and my faith right now in God is being tested. How are we gonna respond through this time? How are we gonna treat our family? How are we gonna treat our neighbors? How are we gonna treat our coworkers? Oh yeah, and how are we gonna treat each other in the church? And it is, it's awkward, it's difficult because we have so many spoken and unspoken messages that are thrown at us every single day. How do we respond to that? So the first aspect of sanctification, again, is what we might call positional sanctification. Christ's Holy Spirit, when he indwells us, he puts that mark of ownership on us, that seal, and we are Christ. We are now one of his children. We're born again spiritually. So we are sanctified or set apart positionally. I brought a a wrench this morning. Uh, There's a lot of things I could have brought, but I brought this to kind of give this illustration. Somebody pointed out after I used this in the first service that it's awful shiny and didn't look like I've used it very much. (laughs) Okay, you got me. But I have used it. And also, I have to say, I'm a little bit of a neat freak, and though I I haven't used it like a lot of people use tools, but I actually clean my tools up when I'm done. I take a rag and I wipe the oil or the grease and the stuff off, and I stick it back in the toolbox so the next time I get it out, I don't start out the job with dirt all over my hands. Call me whatever you want to call me. I'm weird. Some people might label that a little OCD. I'll own that. It's okay. The point is this, regardless of how much it's been used, when I purchased it, it became mine. And at that moment, it became sanctified. It became set apart from every other wrench in the world, and it became mine. And then what I did, because I do loan my tools out, and sometimes I don't get them back, I wrote my name on it, (laughs) on the handle. So if anybody else uses it, they know it's mine. It's coming back to me. Now, that's positional sanctification. It's what I'm talking about. When you give your heart and life to Christ, you sincerely mean it. He puts his mark on you. He says, that person is mine now. You know, Other people might try to use them, but they're mine. And I want to use them for my purposes. And I did use this wrench on a plumbing project at our house this past week. Now, that brings us into the next part of sanctification. There's the positional sanctification. You're placed there, you're identified But then, there's the practical aspect. God wants to use you in the ways that he's designed you to be used. And I was able to use this wrench in the way that it was designed to be used. I was able to adjust it to the size I needed. I put it on the the connection. I was able to turn it, uh, get the job done. The point is, in those moments, this wrench was experiencing practical sanctification. It was functioning in the way that it was designed for a useful purpose to help me accomplish what I wanted to get done spiritually speaking, in your life and my life, that's what we're supposed to be doing in the world for Jesus Christ. He no longer wants us to use ourselves for things that we weren't designed to do in the way that we weren't designed to do it. He wants us to live for him so that his work can get done in the way he intends it to be done. The job can get done. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through 11, because here's another thing about sanctification and designed, though this wrench was designed for a specific purpose and everything that I've just said, this wrench can be misused. This wrench can be used as a pretty nasty weapon. I wouldn't want to be whacked up by the side of the head with this wrench. That would do a lot of damage. So even though it's sanctified for a use, sanctification can be misused to hurt people and even sometimes ourselves. And this is what happens spiritually in our lives, and it's why the Scriptures encourage us to use your sanctification in the way that God designed it. You're His. Start acting like you're His. Start living like you're His. Stop living like every philosophy or current popular culture thing says that it is is cool and, and you need to do this because the world will tell you one thing, but God says, that's not the way I designed you. Don't misuse your sanctification. And we're going to get real clear here. And I just want to preface this with what I'm about to read to you or these next few verses is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration, sealing, and sanctification of the Holy Spirit to teach you and I as his followers. You make the choice whether you want to believe it or not. And I say that very firmly and strongly. You make the choice whether you believe it or not, but stop saying that you're going to read the Bible and it says this, and, well, I know it says that, but really he didn't mean it, and here's what he means. You are misusing your sanctification. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. You know what that means? That means there's going to be a lot of voices out there in culture, and there always has been through history. That's going to try to deceive you. It's going to say, "Don't believe the Bible. It's a bunch of nonsense." And well, we just don't understand the Bible, and only half of it's true, and it just kind of contains the truth, but it's really not all truth. And they'll try to explain it away, and all that is is a distraction and a deception. And the Bible is honest enough to to warn us and say, "Don't be deceived." Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. Man, I'm seeing like everything that is lifted up in our culture today that says it's cool and right, and that's how you ought to do it and you got to roll with it. Everything I'm seeing that our culture lifts up and says, woohoo, let's do it, it is fun. The scripture says, don't be deceived. That's not a sanctified life in Christ Jesus. Greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. Mm, Social media. You, You hear me all the time. Facebook is not evil. What you do on Facebook can be. Social media is not evil. What you do with social media can be. It can be used for good or it can be used for slander. And we see it constantly in our culture. So here's my caution under the Holy Spirit to encourage you to be sanctified and live a a sanctified life on your social media platforms. Watch what you say. And when you say it, you better be able to back it up with truth and not just repeat what somebody else said that ends up being totally untrue because it fits your narrative. slanders nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god okay amen i'm done (laughs) makes you feel real good right but now here's the good news this is the encouragement listen to what the apostle paul writes under the inspiration of the holy spirit and that is what some of you were but you were washed you were sanctified You were set apart unto God. You were sealed with His Holy Spirit. He's made you one of His kids. He wants you to learn to live like one of His kids. Jesus Christ was the Son of God, incarnate in the flesh. If you want to see what it looks like to live like a child of God, look at Jesus. That's why we say we need to be more like Jesus. We need to follow his character. We need to have his spirit working in us, to to have his compassion, his love, and oh yes, his justice, and oh yes, his mercy, and oh yes, his discipline. Jesus disciplined, God disciplines. That's part of sanctification. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Again, that word sanctified, it's translated from the Greek into the English, means to be purified from within. It means to be different. It means to be set apart, consecrated, dedicated unto God. So that's the practical application. We're learning now how to live that out. And I'm being totally upfront with you. I've always said this. Don't try to hide it. As your pastor, I know I've been positionally sanctified, set apart unto God to, to first of all, just be his kid, to learn how to follow him. I'm practicing that out, practical sanctification, trying to learn to live by his spirit, use the gifts he's given me of teaching and pastoring and all those things, but I don't do it perfectly. I have sinned. I have violated God's laws, and there are times that I haven't cooperated with his spirit. I've been weak, or I've been selfish, or I've been greedy, or I've been whatever, but my heart doesn't long to stay there. When that happens, his spirit is there saying, Mark, that's not what I created you for, I want you to to follow me. And so then I repent and I ask God to forgive me and I ask God to help me and then I pick up my foot and I lay it down and then I pick up my other foot and I lay it down and I keep going and I walk through this life. I'm learning to practice sanctification. Can I get an amen? I'm describing this for me, I can't speak for you But what I can say is I'm trying to model out for you I'm an imperfect person, but I'm as best I can under the leadership of the Holy Spirit trying to live out this sanctified life. And that's what the scripture calls us to do. So the Apostle Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and he says this, Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Again, pleasing God is learning to live by faith. So when we do stumble and fall, when we sin, and instead of just making excuses, we own up to it, we ask God for forgiveness, and we ask God to help us, and then we try to continue to move on so that we can overcome that. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, verse three of 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Can you get around that? He tells us very plainly, it is God's will for your life to be sanctified. And that means not only positionally, but to learn to live a sanctified life unto God. Now he gets into detail, he gets to preaching that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. Your own vessel is your body. God says, learn to use your body for the way I designed it and what I want you to use it for, not the way the world tells you to do it and not just what feels good for a moment of pleasure or a lifetime of pleasure. There's something more important than pleasure. Serving God, I will tell you, is pleasurable. It's very difficult, it's tough, but it gives a pleasure and a joy that the world cannot give. I've been involved in sins that are very pleasurable for a moment, and it makes me feel good, or it makes me forget my problems. But then the weight of the consequences of it come later, and it ain't worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, just in case you think I'm trying to take one or two verses out of context and make it say what, I think it ought to say. When God wants to make a point, he repeats it several times. Romans 6, 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. I go back to the wrench. This wrench can be used properly or it can be used misused to do damage. Scripture says, "Use your body to honor God, not for your own selfish means that ends up usually doing damage to either you or someone else." So, what are you using your body, your mind, and your spirit for? Well, there's a third part of sanctification and it will be completed when the Lord returns and we're in his presence and we will know him even as we are fully known. And that's perfect sanctification. Now, again, it doesn't mean that uh, I'm using the word perfect here in the sense of being mature and complete. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, And I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. On that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. That's from the New Living Translation. But whatever translation you read in, it's what it's talking about. God who began this work in you, because he sealed you and he's indwelt you, he's going to complete that good work in you. That is the good news. But that's not an excuse to say, well, since God's going to complete the good work in me, then I can just do whatever I want. I can pray a little prayer, accept Jesus, and then live life how I want to. That is not at all what it means to be saved. That's not at all what it means to be sealed or sanctified. That's why the scripture teaches us this truth. In fact, it's not me to judge, but I would just question if somebody prayed some kind of a prayer uh, of accepting Jesus, but then they go through the rest of their life totally unchanged, living no differently, living like the world. Again, I'm not their judge, but I would just, for me, I would kind of question, are you really even saved? Did, did you really even get born? Because in our physical world, when a child is born, the child begins to have signs of life. They don't live perfectly, they gotta learn to walk, they gotta learn to feed themselves, but at least there's signs of life in a child that's born alive physically. And spiritually it's the same way. If you truly are born again spiritually, there should be some signs of life there. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. There's a lot of things you've got to learn, but it's the spirit that has put life within you. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen, that word amen, just simply means so be it. So whenever you pray a prayer and you end it by saying amen or amen, that you're saying to God in your prayer, Lord, so be it. You know, I've asked you these things and I want to trust you and just please you know, help it to happen, so be it. Or if somebody's preaching a sermon or teaching and you agree with it and you say amen, you're saying, hey, so be it. Yes, that's right on. So be it. So in Christ Jesus, we can say, so be it. Now he goes on in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. He says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. See, again, it's this Holy Spirit who has sealed us, sanctified us positionally. We're learning to live it out practically. He's going to bring it to perfection, maturity, and completion, but we've got to cooperate with him in that process. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership. There it is again, the seal of ownership. And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You say, Mark, you sound like you're sending a mixed message because you say on the one hand, well, if, if you're saved, if you've accepted Christ, then you're sealed and you're guaranteed heaven, but yet you're also saying that you have to live a sanctified life. Yes, you deal with it. That's what the scripture teaches. You, you got a problem in your mind with that? You deal with it, but that's the truth of what the scripture says. And to me, I don't think it's a mixed message because again... If you're God's child and he set you apart and sanctified you, he wants you to live like one of his kids. Now, you're never going to stop being one of his kids. He's identified you and he loves you and he wants you to be in relationship with him. But right now is that time where we can begin to practice what it's going to be like in heaven. I've said this before in many messages. I don't understand how people want to reject God, any belief in God. They want to live however they want. And yet when they die, they want to go to heaven because heaven is where God dwells. So if you don't want anything to do with God now here in this life, why in the world would you want anything to do with God for all eternity in heaven? God wants us to live a sanctified life because Jesus taught us in his prayer of how to pray. Pray in this manner, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. That's living a sanctified life. We're starting to learn now on earth how to do his will and to honor him. So what is our response? Our response is to cooperate with the work that he's done, the sealing, the guarantee. If you're a parent, you understand this. If you're a parent and you've got kids or a kid, when they are doing what you know is good for them and, and they're listening and, and you're not being abusive now, so again, you're b- being a good parent, trying to le- lead and guide them and help them. When a child is not doing what you want, it grieves you. That child, it, it grieves your heart, because you love them and you want to see them do the best, for, you want the best for them. And when you have a child that is Listening and putting into practice things that are good for them, it brings you joy. Well, it's the same way in our relationship with God through Christ. We can grieve the Holy Spirit when we're not living a sanctified life in the way that he wants. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 through 31. Apostle Paul again, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Look at how many times this is mentioned in the scriptures. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And yes, that even means during a pandemic. And all of the ridiculousness that we have listened to in the media and the miscommunication from the CDC and the World Health Organization and all of that stuff, I know it can be very confusing and very frustrating, and we're all trying to do the best we can. If we're going to live a sanctified life, then let's try to put aside bitterness and clamor and all that, and let's all try to support each other and do the best we can. Because when we don't, it grieves God's heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. I'm going to finish with this verse. And yes, I mean I'm going to finish with this passage. Because we can not only grieve the Holy Spirit, but we can quench the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean we totally uh, eradicate the Holy Spirit. We can't do that. He is powerful. He's God. He's more. He, we can't eradicate him. But what we can do is hinder his work in our life and his work in the church. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. I'm gonna stop there for a minute because it sounds a little self-serving, but we gotta get this right. This scripture right here says that if you've got a pastor, a staff, a Sunday school teacher, a, a, a volunteer ministry leader who is doing their best and working hard and trying to honor Christ and help his church grow and be effective, it says that we really ought to honor them and hold them in high regard. And again, I realize that sounds self-serving because I'm the guy up here saying it, but I'm telling you, I'm just bringing the scripture to you. I'm in my role now as teacher. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Why? Why should we do that? Why do we need to listen to anything Pastor Mark says or any of the staff or our Sunday school teacher? Why? Because when you don't and when you get your own attitude, you're quenching the spirit, you're grieving the heart of God if the leaders are trying to do what is good for everyone. Now, again, if a leader's out of step and and, and not following God and, not doing right things, then we need to be corrected. We need to be held accountable. And I expect that from you all. Let's go on, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Oh, do we need that, oh God. Hey, we got an amen, so be it. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Hmm. Wow, could our world learn a wet lesson from that right now? But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Perfect, complete sanctification. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you as faithful, and he will do it. Will you stand and let's pray. Lord, today, I've just taken you at your word. And I thank you, Lord, for your patience with me and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness in my life. Thank you for saving me, for sealing me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for indwelling me. Thank you for sanctifying me, setting me apart. Thank you for helping me to learn how to how to do this, how to live this life out. Though I certainly, you know how many times, Lord, I haven't done it well, I haven't done it perfectly. But my heart's desire is to continue more and more to, to practice the sanctification, to to live as you empower me and you want me to do. And Lord, I pray that this would be the prayer of all of us as your followers. That's what the Apostle Paul prayed for us and encouraged us in. And Lord, I thank you that your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, that we can have the assurance of our salvation, the guarantee, and that's what ought to motivate us in love, to wanna honor you and live for you. So Lord, today, use this message in whatever way you want, to touch and speak the minds and the heart and the soul and the spirit of everyone listening to this message. And help us to respond to your salvation. Help us to receive your Holy Spirit. Help us to receive Christ as our Savior, that we can receive your Holy Spirit, to be sealed, to be sanctified, and to learn to live it out for your honor and glory and for the good of ourselves and all those around us in your name. Amen.